All right, all right. Notice I cut one of those. There was a bad word in that, so I had that. Get that before you didn't fill that in in your mind, right? I'm sure none of you. Uh, and uh, half our congregation didn't know what uh, those uh, songs were, you know. <laughs> Uh, that was some scary 80s stuff with some come on Eileen and overalls and no shirt. You know, that is terrifying. Uh, good morning. Glad you guys are here. I want to welcome you to church and thank you for coming. I know we have friends that are online watching and so welcome friends online. We are glad that you're here as well. If you guys would take a chance uh, this uh, Sunday to drop off your prayer requests right outside uh, right outside the sanctuary, there's a prayer request wall. And if you've put, been putting those and God's answered those prayer requests, would you transfer them from the request side to the answered side? We'll be doing that this week and then next week. And we're going to see uh, if God has answered any of our prayers. Already we've seen a few transferred over. And so what an incredible blessing to be able to track that God is actually doing work. All right, so let's begin with our shouts. What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. So we are on our final week of our One Hit Wonder series where we've been looking at incredible moments of the Bible. Uh, and today we're going to finish with the idea of a one in a million chance of something happening. And one in a millions come in two different flavors. They come in the, the positive or the good flavor of right place at the right time. And they come in in the negative flavor, the wrong place at the wrong time. And so we're going to see both of those today. And we're going to start out with the positive, one of the positives, with one of my favorite narratives that's found in the Gospels uh, of Jesus and his interaction with some people. So this is a right time, right place, and the situation is about copper coins. The passage comes from Mark chapter 12, verse 41. So Jesus sits down opposite the place where the offering uh, was put, and, and he was watching the crowd putting in their money in the temple treasury. And many, many rich people, they threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came, and, and she put in two very small copper coins worth only a couple of cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus says to them, he says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she put in everything. She put in all that she had to live on into the offering basket. Man, there are, there are so many parts about this narrative that I love. I love that this lady was willing to sacrifice everything for God. I love that, 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 she, uh, that Jesus notices her, and he points it out to his disciples as an incredible example. He says, look at that lady. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I, I love that the amount didn't matter, but the heart and the sacrifice, they were the key. I love that she gave everything she had to live on. That meant there was no dinner tonight. And she had to have weighed that out in her mind. She's got two copper coins. I could buy bread and get a water. Or I could give it to God. No dinner today. I'm going to give it to God. I love that. I love that she didn't do it to be noticed by people. And yet, she was ultimately noticed by God. I think for many of us, we think, like, does my giving even matter? But here we see that, that we give not because God needs it. The value wasn't in the amount that the person was giving. But God knows that we actually need it. God doesn't need your money. But it is essential to your well-being that you honor God with your money. 
that your generous giving breaks the stronghold of materialism in life. That you realize that even if you gave everything to God and it was your last gift and it was everything to live on, God would still be with you and notice and take care of you. See, it doesn't matter if you make $1 an hour and then you, you give from that or if you make $1,000 an hour and you give from that. Giving wholeheartedly to God is seen by God and that's all that matters. But it isn't just in money. And I want to really help you take this as fully inside as you can. He gives an example of money, but it isn't only money. Maybe it's volunteering a, just two times a, a month in the kid venture. And, you know, you're thinking you're volunteering there, and you're like, well, the kids even remember. Like, I teach toddlers. They're not going to remember my name, and they're not going to know who I am. Do the parents even care? Do they even know that I'm in here week after week? Who even notices the sacrifice that I give? I will tell you, God notices. And that matters. Something small like saying hi to someone who's new or, or going out of your way to introduce yourself or even invite them to lunch. That matters. God notices. There was a team early uh, this morning and they were trying to take out a little of buzzing uh, out of the system and to make the sound a, a little bit crisper so that the praise would come out uh, a little more vibrantly. And they spent 20, 30 minutes doing that. Does anyone notice? Does it, no, one no, no one saw them doing that. God notices. You know, always say our, our cleaning crew, they come through and they, they notice all these things on the floor that you never even look at. You know, like uh, once you start mopping the floor, you start to notice imperfections on the floor. And there's three of us that notice them and they come diligently and they get those imperfections out. Who notices? They're doing that before anyone arrives. God notices. God notices every little thing you do. Your your prayer on the way to work, he notices that. When, when you pause before you go inside and you go, okay, fix my face, share Jesus, change my attitude, smile, be a blessing. God notices that pause you took to be intentional about having a good attitude when you go interact with people because you know you represent Christ. See, God notices all of that. God, he notices every little thing that you do. There is no gift to God that is too small or no sacrifice that goes unnoticed by him. And it doesn't matter if anyone else notices. The Bible doesn't tell us God provided for her. It doesn't say that God gave her extra money or anything like that. All, and, and Jesus didn't go talk to her. But God noticed. And so maybe you're in a profession or you're in a life or you're a parent and your kids aren't saying thank you every day to you and you know, like giving you all the gratitude that you feel like you deserve. And it's a grind sometimes, but God notices. He notices every little part, and he's pleased with those sacrificial pieces that you give to him, even if it's the tiniest amount, because the, matter does, the, the amount doesn't matter. The heart matters, and that's it. So give huge amounts. Give, give generously. Give gorgeously. Give of your time and, and give of your effort and your intentionality and, and your finances, all of it, God notices. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks or what's on your right or left. Remember that God always notices those little things, every little thing. God knew how your heart was when we were singing some of these songs. He knew if you were making a list about the market later on or what you're going to do. Or No one else knows, but between you and God, God knows. So keep honoring God in every big and small thing because he's pleased with you.
And he's lifted up by those kind of sacrifices. Even if you feel they're small, God doesn't. Those are the kind of things he notices. Okay, so our next one is wrong place. That was the right place at the right time. God noticed her. Boom. Wrong place at wrong time. Situation is an ark is falling. This is from 1 Chronicles chapter 13. So they're moving the ark of God. And so they're transporting it. And they had to carry it on poles because no one was allowed to touch it. So they moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. And Dave and all the Israelites, they're celebrating with all their might before God and songs and harps and lyres and timbrels and cymbals and trumpets. And there's this big party and the ark is moving. And they came to the threshing floor of uh, Kaidon. Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because like one of the oxen had stumbled. And he was worried the, 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 the ark might fall off. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put on his hand on the ark, so that he died right there before God. Wow, that's some Indiana Jones stuff, right? Like, I saw that movie. The guy melted when he opened the ark, right? God had commanded them that no one was supposed to touch the ark under any circumstances. Even if the ark's falling, don't touch the ark. So this was a massive Wrong place, wrong time situation. If he'd have just walked 10 feet away, right? Like, he wouldn't have been able to get there in time. If he would have just uh, been third in row instead of first in row by the ark, he would have been fine. But God uses this moment to teach the entire nation to listen to his words. That they are not suggestions. They are commands. I would say the upside for this guy is that uh, he probably goes to heaven. I mean, he's a God follower, right? And, and he seemingly passes away fairly painlessly. So I sort of imagine it like this. Yuzo's walking around, and the ark's falling. He's like, oh, no, and he touches it. And all of a sudden, like, he, Jesus, what are you doing here? What just happened? And Jesus is like, sorry, bro. You touched the ark, you know? Now you're in heaven now. And he's like, hmm. Okay, cool then, you know, like, all right, I, I guess that's, that's a good trade-off, I guess. Saved the ark and went to heaven. And so I don't totally feel too bad for that guy. All right, so and for our next right, right place, right time moment, I got a surprise for you. You're all in the right place at the right time to hear Drew Kim preach his first message at JRC. And so he's going to lead us in this next little section. So Drew Kim, come on up. So we'll say Pastor Drew for the moment. He's ordained just uh, just for about five minutes here. <laughs> well, thank you, Pastor Sam. And thank you all for the privilege of allowing me to come up here and speak with you. So uh, this one is, uh, like you said, a right place in the right time. Um, when you think of evangelists, who comes to mind? You know, people like uh, maybe Billy Graham or Greg Laurie, Apostle Paul. Well, you can name all those people because they're famous, they're notable, and they're well-known. But do you know who the first evangelists were? Well, they were a bunch of nobodies who just happened to be at the right place at the right time. So let's read from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in, their, in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And I feel kind of like Linus in a Christmas, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas standing up there and reading that passage. So anyways, back in 2,000 years ago in Israel, there were few people lowlier than shepherds. They were considered unclean because they worked with dirty, smelly sheep, and they were constantly in contact with the muck, the manure, the blood, and the insects that surrounded them. They weren't even allowed to enter the holy temple to worship, and their testimony was considered worthless in court. But the angel of the Lord appeared to them, not to King Herod, not to the high priest, not to the wealthy and privileged. He came to a bunch of nobodies to announce the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. God wanted the world to know that the gospel, the good news, was for absolutely everyone. It was for all social classes, the rich and the poor, the weak and the powerful, the educated and the ignorant. It's for both Jews and Gentiles. The gospel is for everyone who hears it and will accept it. So the shepherds went and found the baby Jesus just as the angel had told them. And then what did they do? Well, let's look again at verses 17 and 18. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. What did they do? They went and evangelized. They were so filled with joy at meeting Jesus that they had to tell everyone they knew the good news. And those who heard them were astonished. Those shepherds really were the first evangelists. Now something that struck me as especially remarkable is that those shepherds were not commanded to spread the news. The angel only came and announced to them that Jesus had been born. He never told them to go and tell anyone else about it. They were not called or anointed or trained to be evangelists, but they were just so ecstatic at meeting Jesus that they couldn't keep their joy to themselves. But then again, when you receive good news, don't you want to share it too? So why not share about the gospel? Is it because you think you don't know enough about the Bible? Or maybe you haven't been trained to evangelize? Is it because you just don't know what to say? Well, here's some more good news for you. If you've ever experienced Jesus in your life, then you do have something to say. You can just simply share and talk about that. Now, those shepherds may have been the first to spread the good news, but they certainly weren't the last. In fact, none of us would be here in church this morning if someone hadn't shared the gospel with us. And all of us, 
We've been commissioned by Jesus to continue sharing the gospel with others, to go and make disciples of all nations. And just like those shepherds, we don't have to be famous or specially trained. We just have to be willing to joyfully share the good news of Jesus. Job, man. Does anyone else feel ordinary? I feel like I'm an ordinary shepherd, manure handling person, and so if you feel ordinary and plain, then you are perfect to be used by God. Thank you, Drew. An ordinary, plain, water testing man. <laughs> All right. Wrong place, wrong time. Next, some dancing ladies is the situation. Now, before I read the passage, a little background. Uh, there was a civil war in Israel. You know, Israel has 12 tribes. So it was 11 tribes versus one tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, because uh, one of the guys from Benjamin did something horrible. And so uh, these, uh, the 11 tribes obviously won that battle, and they had destroyed the, all the Benjamite towns. And they went through the towns, and they killed all of the, uh, every living creature in the towns, women, children, and animals, and that sort of thing. Uh, and so... Uh, additionally, all the other 11 tribes, they said, we vow never to give our daughters in marriage to the Benjamites. They were so mad at these kind of people. But as war does, the war ended fairly quickly. And then there was a real possibility that the line of Benjamin would end because all of the women and kids were killed. And now there were still a, a couple of thousand Benjamin warrior men who were out fighting. They didn't, not every single one of them died. Uh, but uh, they had no women to marry now since the, all the other tribes said, like, you can't marry our daughters, and, and, uh, and their wives had been killed. And so this plan came about. Check this out in Judges chapter 21. The people grieved for Benjamin, actually, because the Lord had made a, a gap in the tribes of Israel. The elders of the assembly, they said, with the, the women of Benjamin destroyed, how shall we provide wives for the men who were left? The Benjamite survivors must have heirs, they said, so that a tribe of Israel won't be wiped out. We can't, we can't give them our daughters as wives since we Israelites, we've taken this oath. Cursed be anyone who gives a wife to a Benjamite. Okay, but look, there's this uh, annual festival to the Lord in Shiloh, which lies north of Bethel, east of the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem and, and south of Le uh, Lebanon. So they instructed the Benjamites, and they told them, go hide in the vineyards and watch. And when these young women of Shiloh come out and join the dancing, like, rush from the vineyards, and, and each of you grab one of them and take them to be your wife. Then return to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or brothers, they complain to us, we'll say, like, oh, do us a favor and, like, just let it slide, right? Help them because we didn't get wives for them during the war. You won't be guilty of breaking your oath because you didn't give your daughters to, to them. And so this is what the Benjamites did when, while these young women were dancing. Each man caught one and carried her off as his wife. And then they returned to their inheritance and they rebuilt their towns and they settled there and their line didn't die. What on earth? Like <laughs> These young women, that is absolutely wrong place at wrong time. Yeah, let's go out for the festival dance. They were doing a traditional dance. Maybe they had a drum, you know, they dressed up in traditional outfits. And as they're doing their dance, some... Dude just swooped in and grabbed a bunch of them. Like, oh my goodness, what a, what a tragedy. But, but again, even in this tragedy, God uses these women's, women to preserve the, the line of Benjamin and to preserve the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Now that ends up being good for humanity because a guy named Jeremiah who was a prophet, he comes from the line of Benjamin. And another really famous guy who we're indebted to incredibly in the New Testament, he writes uh, the majority of the New Testament, Apostle Paul, he's from the line of Benjamin. And so without this, we don't get an Apostle Paul. We would have had an Apostle Jacob and the reading would have been different, not, not worse, but you know, totally different. And so... Uh, so even out of something like wrong place, wrong time, God uses, uses that. Okay, so our last one here is the right place, right time, and the situation is, is meeting a Christian. And this comes from Acts chapter uh, 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he was on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting on his chariot. He's reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit of, uh, told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so Philip runs up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, because at this time uh, everyone, if you had a, a, a book, you read it out loud. Nobody read silently. It wasn't invented yet. It would be considered really rude. It would, because books were the price of a car. And so uh, he's got a book, and, and if you're just enjoying it all by yourself, that's messed up, right? If you had the best, most expensive dinner, and you know your family was there, and you didn't share any with them, that would be messed up. And so that, that's kind of how reading was. If you could read and you had a book, you better be reading that thing out loud. And so that's he's reading this book out loud. Anyway, so... Uh, Philip runs up, he hears him reading from the Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. The guy's like, well, I don't know, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading was this one. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who could speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Eunuch asked, asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture that he's reading and he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they travel along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch says, like, look, there's some, there's some water. What could stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot and both Philip and the eunuch, they jump out and go into the water and Philip baptizes him right there. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly takes Philip away. And the eunuch didn't see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. He had found salvation. Man, talk about right place, right time from the Ethiopian's perspective, right? He didn't know that God was going to send him. He's just sitting there, and all of a sudden some random guy walks up, and, and the random guy knows how to explain the text to him, and the random guy is willing to baptize him after telling him about the gospel and Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And from the Ethiopian's perspective, he was absolutely in the right place at the right time to get this random person walking up to him. He believes and he gets baptized immediately. So a side note here, if you have believed and you haven't been baptized, I encourage you to get baptized this Easter here at Jericho Road Church. Now, if you don't want to wait uh, all the way till Easter... We have a blow-up jacuzzi that we use for baptisms. We'll blow it up next week if that's what you want, or any Sunday that you would like. But if you're so zealous right now, and you're like, man, i got to get baptized, and you can't wait, I'll walk out to this pond right out here, 
right now, and you and I could jump in that pond. I don't care how dirty it is. I'll go in there with you, and I'll baptize you right now. Has anyone? they got to get right now is the time. We will all walk out there, and we'll do a baptism right now. No one's on. You've seen the pond then, huh? <laughs> Turtles, fish, ducks, poops, all that kind of stuff. So we don't use the pond. We use clean water in our regular baptism. But if you're like, I want to go natural, I'll go in the pond with you. That's how important it is. Baptism is critically important. So this passage reminds me, though, that perhaps God is involved in bringing about right time, right place kind of situations. From the Ethiopian's perspective, what a coincidence, right, that this guy was right here. But I never say coincidence. I always say God-incidence. When, when the right time and the right place and the right thing come together, and God is speaking, and then you just happen to be there, I think God is at work. Now, I don't believe that God controls every movement and every moment as if I'm some puppet on a string. So he moves me here, moves them there, talks to them, uh, receive. I don't think that that's how it works. I do think that he's sovereign. I think he has authority over every moment, and he can intervene in any moment at any time, but I think he allows humans to have freedom as well. That being said, I think that he's more involved than Western Christianity tends to give him credit for. So I think that things that often seem like coincidences, especially for believers who are open to listening to his spirit, and all of a sudden that God brings the right person at the right time, and then you share the gospel, and they were ready to receive it. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's God at work, where God is creating right time, right place situations. And, and I, I want to encourage you to be out on the lookout for, for God's right time, right place in your life. Whether you're a lowly shepherd or a um, CEO of your company, whether it's just a tiny moment or, or maybe it's something even a little bigger, that in all of these things we have an eye out to say, does, does God, like Philip, does he want me to share the good news with someone? Maybe he's going to bring you into contact with someone this week. An old friend that you hadn't talked to, a coworker who's ignored you all of the entire time you've worked there until right now. Maybe it's a, a relative you haven't spoken with, and all of a sudden you get a call or a text or a, a Facebook like from them that you didn't even know they had Facebook. God is going to bring around some right place, right time for you to be a blessing to others and for you to be blessed as well. So I, I've had a really great time in this series seeing how often God works with people for just one moment. And all sorts of people, low and high, that, that, that maybe... Maybe I'm, I'm not Apostle Paul. For sure I'm not Apostle Not maybe. For sure I'm not an Apostle Paul. I'm not a Billy Graham. I'm not a Greg Laurie. I'm, I'm just a Sam Tomsick. But for God, that's good enough. That God gives us each right place, right time moment. That God gives us each a, a moment, a verse, a, a place that matters for every single one of us. And I'm reminded through our last five weeks together, that God is so big. He's so overarchingly large. And yet God is so intimate and interested in the details of life. And so I want to just stand together right now and, and close our worship as one body of Christ. All sorts of different people here, different economic backgrounds, social backgrounds, different ethnicities but one commonality of Jesus 
And he's brought you to this place this morning at this time so that we can in one heart together give God a worship that we couldn't give on our own. If you weren't here, it would be different. And so you are at the right place at the right time. So let's worship him.